Hey everyone, welcome to the Clavio Design Podcast. My name is Guy, I'm a product designer working on the Sprint team here at Clavio. This week we'll be talking about copywriting in design. Uh, but first let's go around the virtual room here and to see what who's on the line to talk about uh, this topic with us. Cool, I'll go first. Um, I'm Ali, it's been a while since I've been on a podcast, design podcast, so excited to be back. Uh, copywriting is actually like, sometimes a bane of my design existence, so this is a good one for me to come in and get the get the scoop. I'll go next. Um, <laughs> so I never know when to talk on Zoom, uh, but anyway, I'm Sarah. Um, I am a designer here on the Clavion 60 team, working on a new onboarding experience. Like Ali, I'm not. Uh, an expert in copywriting by any means. So I'm hoping to learn a little bit here as well. I'm I'm, a key guest of the day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Karen Muller. I'm the senior copywriter here at Clavio. And uh, this is my first time being on a podcast. So it's pretty cool. What a great one to be on. Welcome. So I, we usually start with the icebreaker or opening question. The one that I was thinking is like, what is your most memorable copy experience with the brand? Like something that you saw that was like, hmm, that was interesting or different or like, you know, piqued your attention. For me, it's usually like, I don't know, whenever there's a button that, you know, usually we're used to buttons that say, okay, continue. But when there's a button that it looks like more, um, you know, there's more personality to it. Like, let's go, let's go, or like, got it. Or like, I don't know, there, there's more examples like that, I guess. But uh, I really like when micro copy is like really more personal. I don't know about you folks. Yeah, I guess I can speak to that. Um, I, I, I'm a little bit divided on that because when it's stuff like, got it, or let's go, and there's a good energy to it and it makes sense with the brand, um, and it's in the right setting and it feels really natural. All of that is good. Um, and when it is bad, it is so, 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 so bad. <laughs> um, but the one little piece of microcopy that comes to mind as an example for me, um, I guess rather than calling out a favorite, the thing I want to call out is when brands have the decline email option in, written in very passive aggressive text. Um, you know, when that window pops up to sign up the form, much like the forms we do with Clavia. <laughs> um, some brands take that really far. Uh, so you can click, yes, I do want email. Um, and that's the big button usually, of course. But the opt, not the opt out, but the other option is just say no. Yeah. 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 It, it's something like, no, I hate free money or something that's very, I don't know, it feels like a, a pouting 12 year old kind of um, and I feel like that was a really big trend maybe a couple of years ago and I'm seeing a little bit less of it now which is nice but it it really had a moment it's aimed for people like me because then I'm like no I don't I don't hate you and I don't I don't want to not do that <laughs> yeah it's like this is my email sure. but now I feel bad <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to click x cancel uh, yeah Still trying to think of what my favorite or best example was. I mean, could be the you know something also negative. Um, that was like, ooh, that was not. <laughs> I feel I, you like... know. Oh, 
you go, you go, Sarah. I was going to say, I feel like I don't usually actually pay that close attention to copy. So maybe it's a good thing when I don't really notice it, you know, when it doesn't like offend me, it's just like, this is copy and it's fine. <laughs> I think yeah. that can be a good thing. It's, it's a sign that it's like functional and doing its job and not interfering with the experience or making you think too hard about it. Yeah. I was thinking kind of along those same lines, but instead of like not seeing it, when the copy and the typeface kind of match. So if it's like this goofy type of copy and the, the text is a little bit that way too, like when I guess basically the design and copy work together, I've always found that kind of interesting. And it like makes sense when you think of like legal script when it's just like very like bold, like kind of ugly and small and sans serif, you know. Think certain things make sense with others. Um, almost as helpful when they do. Like it would be weird to have like a very formal text and then someone being like, "What's up?" You know, like it just would, would feel wrong. Yeah. Like all those, uh, you know, like those impromptu warnings that people make in Comic Sans that they uh, yeah. <laughs> post around. It's not making and... me think I should do that though. Like, let's go make basically bad matching. <laughs> <laughs> it's like absolutely not please do not do that <laughs> you know that could be a great tumbler is like all the mismatched font and quarantine life we got the time let's do it there is a church near my apartment where all of the signs like the professionally made large outdoor signs are in comic sans and every time i pass it in my head i call it the church of comic sans <laughs> oh gosh that was one of the better examples i've seen lately <laughs> So let's get started on the main topic, the idea of talking about the importance of copywriting and design. And Karen, I noticed that you want to talk, speak a little bit about uh, myth busting, uh, specifically on how people think of copy versus the job and what it really involves. So could you speak Sure, yeah. Um, I, I really like talking about this stuff with designers, I guess, since I've worked in a design studio before this and since I'm on the design team here now, working with a lot of designers. Um, I like to try to talk things out when I can, um, but sometimes I think there are little tiny pieces of logic that make a huge difference. Um, and I guess the main myth that I like to bust uh, is the idea that copy is really about words and comma placement and grammar and puns. Um, I think that the language aspect of it is absolutely what got me into it. It's a fun, cool part of it, but it's kind of like the last step of the job. Um, there's a lot of research that has to come before that can happen uh, and a lot of ideation and just making sure that the idea itself is solid before you can actually wrap words around it. Uh, because if the idea isn't good, there's no possible way to turn it into a good idea with writing. Um, and usually that becomes clear when you try to write about something and you just can't make it work. Sometimes the problem involves, sometimes in order to find the problem, you have to retrace your footsteps a little bit and do a little more digging. Um, so yeah, I guess the, the ultimate myth is that copy is about words. Um, when really it's it's just a business tool and it's something that can impact the user experience and user behavior really directly um, in a lot of the same ways that 
design can. Um, so there are little details that might seem like they don't make a difference or there, there are phrases that seem like they mean the same thing, but in context just don't work at all. Um, and so a lot of the battle is just figuring out the nuances of those pieces and how they come together. So in general, do you feel like designers, product people make the mistake of bringing in copy too late? Like they kind of attack it as, hey, this is all done. Can you just put a little polish on it and like tell me what this button should say when really we, it, you should be involved much earlier? Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a thing that tends to happen a lot. And I think it does come from a really good place. Um, I think when people are bringing ideas to me that way and they're like, oh, hey, I've written half of this. Can you take this and polish it up? Um, they're coming into it with the intention of lightening the load and having gotten some of that work out of the way, uh, which is a, a really nice thing to do. Um, but the tricky part comes in when I can see the details that they're incorporating and the sort of surface level words that they're using, but I don't have a sense of the reasoning or the ideas that are really behind it. Um, so if someone brings me something that's half written, I don't, I don't necessarily know the business objectives that they're most focused on or um, the aspects of a product that are really most important to the customer that I need to tease out a little bit more. Uh, there are a lot of really small things like that. Sometimes I, I don't know who the audience is or why we're writing the thing aside from, <laughs> hey, I need a, a web page. Can you make this exist? Yeah. Um, and there are all kinds of all kinds of situations that come about, um, but I think sort of the thing that it always requires is just a good understanding of why we're making the choices that we're making. Yeah, um, more and so getting something written can kind of bury that. Yeah, for sure. I I mean, from the design standpoint, we've always said and talked about how people think we just make a pretty picture once everything's already been formed. And it's way better if we have understood the problem and talked to people and really have been able to craft not just the pretty picture, but also this whole experience too. And it sounds like, you know, the idea of copy is the same way. It's not just a few words that like crush it. It's the whole thing that you're presenting and how it feels and seems. Yeah. yeah. And even, even how design and copy come together, it's, I think when a designer and a writer are working together from the outset at the beginning, that's like the ultimate best case scenario. And there are reasons why that can't always happen. And there are a lot of situations where that doesn't need to happen. Um, but when it does, it's great. Yeah, I keep thinking like if the if you as a designer receive a brief that's like make this <laughs> and without the you know all the things that you pointed out like you know the things that you need to know and like the questions that you want to answer or like the emotions that you want people to feel uh it, it's really tough right uh, and i guess that's that goes to the point about you know why does it all matter right the things that you want people to understand out of it you know you can tap into you know their emotions and you know, they might be distracted, so you want to make it concise. Uh, or maybe they're very, you know, concentrated right now and they want to know all the details. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, like this balance, right? Um, 
Um, I mean, it comes to mind sometimes like brands that have unique voice and tone and some of the ones that I wrote here, I think um, Slack, which is, you know, a professional tool, but they also are a little bit more on the casual side. I, I talked about like the copy stuff and buttons. I think they do that a lot in their onboarding. Um, Duolingo, <laughs> which is everyone has a love-hate relationship with it, I guess. Like they can be very pushy sometimes, but you know, it's all coming from this sort of like, yeah, like that, that sort of friction about being pushy, but also, you know, having your best interest in mind because they know that you want to learn. Um, Don't lose your streak. You just <laughs> lost the number two spot. I can see where that's so necessary. You're failing. Though. <laughs> it's like you, you don't want a personal trainer who's too nice <laughs> right and i feel like that's just the phone version i think they had like a april fool's joke or something that they had like uh an extreme version of their notifications or something i think it, it, i keep you know it's very fresh in my memory how memorable it was like this whole idea of the i think it was a parrot like their mascot right they would come to Ow. your house Oh, oh, sorry. Yes, <laughs> they, they would come to your Spanish. house and like, yeah. Um, and then I feel like in social media, particularly, like, is there is where a lot of brands are exploring sort of like that sort of uh, personality. So you know, um, Twitter's Twitter account is surprisingly like weird. <laughs> In a way that, (laughs) yes, it's like they tweet these things that are very like, like jokes. I feel like whoever is in charge of that account really understands the culture around the product. And it's like, it's quite fascinating to see that play out Um, because it's not what you expect. And I think that's what makes it so memorable sometimes, like when brands deliberately go against what you expect. It's like Wendy's uh, Twitter account. It's also funny. It's like they are like very sassy. Um, Yeah. I don't know, is there any, have, any brands that you guys uh, find to be particularly memorable? I have a question before we get to that one. From your perspective, Karen, would you like more or less words to develop a tone? Like I'm wondering with like the Twitter stuff, do people like to kind of build their brand on Twitter because they're limited in what they can say? Or would you prefer to have like be able to write a huge narrative that like builds a brand? I (laughs) have a lot of feelings about Twitter. (laughs) Um, I was actually, sadly, alas, I was thinking about it this morning. (laughs) Um, Because I think I was a freshman in college and I had, was actually a design professor who forced me to sign up for Twitter. And this was, um, this was a long time ago. (laughs) But at the time, it wasn't something that was used very widely. It wasn't quite in its heyday yet. And he was just like, hey, if you want to work in media, you need to be on this. I, I was like, this is stupid. I don't, I don't want to tell people what I'm eating for lunch. Nobody cares. Um, but in the time since then, just like kind of hanging out and following people and following the news, it's been a really cool study in how people deal with being concise and expressing themselves and finding a sort of super distilled version of people's voices. Um, I think there's such a kind of focus on voice on Twitter Um, because everything is so short and because you don't get that space to explain yourself. uh, And the ways that people use language as a result are really fascinating. I'm actually, I'm reading a book on this right now called Because Internet, it's basically the linguistics evolving on the internet um but 
that all kind of blends into copy really quickly. Um, when you start looking at all the things that these brands are doing and especially brands that are trying to communicate with younger people that kind of need to be aware of how these changes are taking place and what things actually mean. Even, even when I'm writing copy for Clavio, I know we're not exactly a, a Gen Z focused brand, um, but I still look things up on Urban Dictionary left and right just to make sure I'm not saying something that could be construed in a way that is very different from how I mean it. <laughs> so I think there's always kind of that awareness in the back of your head of like, okay, so the dictionary definition is this, but like what in else? this context, <laughs> what else could it mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I really, I think the constraints of Twitter and like the, the way that it forces you to be concise really, makes people go to the point like i i noticed that you know the platform really changed a bit when they went when they doubled the capacity in a recent years it's like now that people have more space and with threads too right you can like you know you can basically write a full blog post on twitter if you want um but yeah i i really appreciate the conciseness of it uh and how it like forces you to get to the point uh yeah another space that's been really interesting for just Kind of focusing on those specific things has been email subject lines mm. um kind of relevant to us i suppose um in a, a different job before this i used to write a lot of subject lines all day um and so I, I would always look at what other brands were doing um and one example that comes to mind of a brand that does something really interesting with their voice um do you guys know the clothing brand reformation it's kind of like an upscale women's brand. I think it was like an LA boutique, but they've reached all over the country at this point. Um, but their clothing isn't anything too out there looking, uh, but their brand voice and especially their emails. I sound like a real nerd for <laughs> the oh, level of out about this. Uh, but even like their email subject lines, they're really brief and they're in all I'll have kind of that tone of it's not it's not really even like a good friend it's like that best friend who you're so close with that you constantly send each other like kind of bratty texts and your love is on like that sibling level mm -hmm. um it's very jarring at first when a brand interacts with you that way but it really gets your attention and that's what they're that's what Reformation subject lines are constantly. I don't know if they're continuing to do that. Um, it was it was a few years ago when that really caught my eye, but that example's really stuck with me. Yeah. How do you feel about emojis <laughs> in subject lines? I'm a little fascinated by them. Um, I think there's something that... <laughs> This is going to be a weird soapbox to get on, but I think there's something that gets underestimated a lot. I think in general, people think emojis and they're like, okay, you're, you're a millennial. Like this is serious. We can't use emojis. Um, or they think that there are just, I think that they have a lot of potential and value, especially in spaces like subject lines, um, depending on the brand. But even for a SaaS brand like Clavio, um, 
they can have a big impact. And if you use them in a smart way, they can catch people's eye. And I think they really function the same way as language in that kind of context. Like it has a really specific meaning in that setting. And you read a sentence with an emoji in the middle of it in a specific way. Um, so I think it can give you like a little more freedom and it can be a good way to play with the mood of something. So I'm a bit of a fan, but I, I say that very carefully. <laughs> yeah, like I'm, a, I'm a big team. fan. Yeah, I was going to say, the US team, especially <laughs> the big emoji people over here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Slack, I'm just left and right. It's, it's out of control on Slack. <laughs> he puts yeah. emojis in every document he creates. I, but effective ones. Very good. He's very good at using it's the quality. Right. <laughs> oh my. It's part of his voice and tone. <laughs> the geese style personal brands. <laughs> you know, there, there's this, these key moments that I remember vividly about like when a feature gets released that is so exciting or so game game changing that I remember the moment that I heard about it. And Slack reactions is one of them. I remember when they announced it and I was like, oh my God, this changes everything. Because now, you know, you can express yourself through all these ways. And it's, you know, you feel like that feeling of like, all the things that I can do with this, <laughs> which I think is the best thing you want to ensure, you know, like you want to put in your users is like, oh, I can take this to many places. And uh, yeah, Slack, Slack reactions and emojis, custom emojis too is a big one. Um, we have a few for our own team here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like thinking about all those things, um, just Slack and reactions and other ways to sort of add that little bit of emotional context around a phrase um, in really the same way that you do in like a copy design relationship. I feel like all of those things are coming into play a little bit more now working from home just because we're not always on a Zoom call with each other and so much is happening in Slack and sometimes you can't just look across the desk and see like, okay, this person knows that like, I mean this feedback in the best way possible and not aggressively. <laughs> um, and with Slack, yeah, no, it's, I, I think it helps to have those little visual cues or just other ways of showing the tone because not everybody has time to think about the way they're getting things across when you're busy. Yeah, there's a whole science in interpreting emojis and punctuation. <laughs> It's like if you do two ha-has, is that being ironic? <laughs> oh, man. You know, like all these things. That that is the book that I'm reading right now. I'm not even kidding with you. <laughs> I just watched the office episode where they talk about the dot 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 dot. You know, and they're like two mistake, three like normal. Four or five? Like we put another level and it's just period. It's kind of fascinating though when you think about it, all of that had to come from somewhere and 50 years ago it didn't mean the same thing and how did we get from there to here and just even if you look at I don't know looking at old ad copy is so interesting usually it doesn't hold up too well <laughs> but it's so interesting so um, getting into a little bit of the process of writing copy. So um, we always ask, we always ask people like, what does a day look like, you know, as a copywriter? That's a good question. I guess, so this is a cop out answer, but it is 100% true. I don't think there is really 
a very routine day in this job, which is why I like it. Um, I like that you always have to kind of think on your feet a little bit. Um, but I guess in general, the things that I think about going through a day are, um, let's say a new creative brief comes in and it has all the details to kick off a new project. Uh, part of the morning might be spent, you know, going through that and making sure all of the information that I need to write whatever the thing is, is actually in that brief, or do I need to follow up with some questions? Um, and I think that questions are a really, really huge part of this job. Um, just being a pain and continuously asking people, but why do you want this? Or, but what is that for? Uh, I think that's huge. Um, so just kind of like looking through all that information, synthesizing it, and then um, kind of getting to the stage of brainstorming or trying to come up with whatever the idea is that you're working with. Um, and if it's a big project, you might, you know, have a huge brainstorming session and really be looking for that one really big idea that you can go off on an exploration with and then, um, you know, get a lot of feedback from people. Uh, with other projects, it's just a really quick turnaround. Sit at your desk, write up 15 headlines for a banner ad and get some people's thoughts on them and then, you know, keep feeding them up and eventually you wind up figuring out what's going to work. Um, but it, it's a lot of just constantly reading things and asking questions. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really curious about like the validation process. So like, how do you know that this piece of copy works best? Like, do you just go to people that have never heard of the concept and then like see if they can get it or like, I don't know, how does it work? <laughs> that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I think there are kind of two parts to it. Like when I'm working on a project and I'm trying to get to that initial place where I'll have an idea that's even worth putting in front of people. It's a lot of just constantly asking myself the question. Yeah, but who cares? <laughs> and if I can keep asking myself that question and I haven't really gotten to um, whatever the idea at the core of the project is or if I haven't figured out what I can say in the headline that will make someone care about the rest of the web page, um, then it's really not ready to keep moving yet and I have to keep working at it. But once I can do that and I feel like I can kind of stand behind the rationale there, um, it's, I would say, a combination of just running things past teammates and designers for feedback about what's doable and what sounds good to them because good copy never happens in a vacuum. Mm. Um, it's also a bit of just looking at best practices and seeing what other websites either in the industry that generally, you know, do good work, kind of like what their starting point is, what they're working with. Um, if, and if we're either doing something in that neighborhood or, have reason to do something better. Um, it's, a, it's a lot of learning from examples, I would say. And what about on the flip side? So with design, we try to be better about measuring success, um, oh, looking yeah. at like metrics of how, whether our, the design is working, which can sometimes be hard. How does that work for copywriting? 
it's it's pretty similar i guess yeah when something actually goes out in the world um and especially if it's something new that we've never worked on before like a new kind of ad um just doing any kind of testing that we can on it to see how it is being received or if it is influencing um conversions or signups or you know engagement in some way um and sometimes that can be measured more directly than other times. Uh, but all of that stuff kind of creates a good benchmark and then you can keep working on it and finding ways to make it better, make progress from there. Always room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> so how does someone, you, you mentioned a little bit about like looking at other co companies that, you know, other examples or, uh, in general, like how would how would someone get if they want to get really good at copy uh, writing? Like how would one do that? <laughs> I ask myself every day. <laughs> um, I, I think probably what I found to be most helpful with copywriting and also just with writing in general um, is getting an absolutely brutal editor <laughs> who doesn't let you get away with anything, um, but someone that explains their edits really well. And doesn't just say, no, don't do that, but they have to give you the reasons behind it. And sometimes it's more doable on the job than other times um, due to time constraints. But I think if that's something that someone wants to develop, finding someone in their life or a mentor of some kind that can really uh, give a lot of feedback on their work is huge. Um, something else that sticks with me is... Uh, back when I was kind of getting started with all of this um, and taking a course back in the day, I had, and actually it was an ad copy professor and he was talking about the design copy relationship and coming up with that big idea that everything comes together around. This is mostly in the context of um, really traditional like magazine print advertisements, uh, but I think it, it's relevant to a lot of things. But he was basically saying, if it's your only idea, it's not a good idea. Um, I think in a lot of contexts, you can stumble on something and it, it works or it seems like it works and you don't have to keep looking. You have a good feeling about it and like, yeah, cool. It's probably like a halfway okay idea, but you have to keep pushing yourself beyond that or you're not gonna find anything that's better than just okay. Um, and so I think it's kind of freeing to have that brainstorming process where you're like, okay, right now I'm just going to come up with as many ideas as I can think of. And they don't all have to be good. And some of them are probably going to be kind of dumb and kind of goofy. And I'm just going to throw them all out there and we can wade through them and figure out which ones work later. But like not putting the pressure on yourself to have great ideas, just to have a ton of them. Um, and then you can evaluate them later. So those are a couple things. That's really similar to how design also operates, I feel like, in terms of, you know, getting tons of volume out there, you know, expressing multiple different avenues, because probably the first one you have is not the best one. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, that's really The class nice. that I was, like, learning a lot of this in back in the day, it was really based on, um, and I think it's still, like, the best way of thinking about this, it was focused on the design copy relationship and sort of like working together to build that hierarchy 
in an ad or on a web page or whatever. Um, but basically, the communication falls apart if that hierarchy doesn't exist. So just spending a ton of time thinking about how that works um, has been helpful. Uh, and Sarah, I know you worked on, <laughs> you helped with some of the Clavier UX copywriting guidelines that we use. Could you speak a little bit more about that process? Yeah. Um, so the pieces that I touched were regarding how we talk about errors in the product. Uh, so basically, I was working on guidelines because our errors were just kind of all over the place, uh, both in terms of the components we used and the language that we used. So there's a lot of best practices out there uh, for UX copy in terms of errors. And I feel like the main pieces of that are to just like not blame the user for anything. You don't want them to feel bad for making a mistake because it's probably not actually their fault. Um, avoiding technical language. So you don't want to be like 500 network error, <laughs> like yeah. random words that nobody understands because that's also just like confusing and scary to get. It's like, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> um, <laughs> and just in general, like being very specific about what's wrong and also how to fix it. Like you don't want to tell someone like something went wrong, but they have no idea like what went wrong or why or what they can do to fix the problem. Um, so yeah, I feel like my process was just like doing a bunch of research on what other products do and what the well-known best practices are and then trying to apply it to Clavio. Um, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess you can really tell as a user when you're using something, like when you stumble upon an error that hasn't been like really thought out. Because <laughs> it's usually like just the computing part of it, just like, boom, like dumping something on you. <laughs> and like, even if they give you an error code sometimes, I feel like, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> like, I don't know, Google it. But you, but you feel really good. Like if you figure it out, you're like, oh gosh, I forgot an S. And the error was like random code script. And you're like, <laughs> that wasn't, that could have been easier to understand. But then you're like, but I figured it out. I'm so, so impressive. <laughs> yeah, but Clavio definitely has some like weird things going on. Like there's, in terms of voice even in one place in the app we use the word bonkers when there's an <laughs> error which is like so not clavio at all and just doesn't fit in so that's definitely to be avoided <laughs> we definitely still have some kinks to work out on that end <laughs> that's in the works glad we pay king in the big bucks <laughs> Um, and one thing that comes to mind when dealing with copy in UX is the idea of, you know, internationalization and how you have to support languages. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, I think German gets a bad rap on this front, but you get uh, a word and that word is so much longer <laughs> in other uh, languages. Um, I, I, so I found this spreadsheet. It's really interesting. Like you put a piece of... Uh, I, have the link in the show notes but basically you put the copy that you want uh in the top and then it will automatically translate for you uh 
you know, how that looked like in other, all these other languages. And it gives you the number of characters. So like whenever you're writing something, you can keep like in the top of your, your mind, like, okay, uh, maybe sometimes they even come up with, you know, different words altogether for certain languages that might be um, kind of complicated on that front. So just something that I know that we are going to have internalization sometime in the future. Um, but yeah, it's just an interesting, you know, piece of this whole puzzle of coming up with copy and uh, products and stuff. Yeah, I feel uh, like Clavio is guilty of having really long buttons, like we'll yeah. shove, like five words <laughs> in the button for no reason. And I can only imagine what that looks like in a language where the words are much longer or when one word is actually multiple words and just like a button takes up half the screen. <laughs> so I guess that's something that we should uh, try to get better at in our UX copy. <laughs> that's um, one big thing that I think a lot of UX copywriters are responsible for on digital products in general um, is even if you're just writing something in English and it's going to be primarily read by an audience that speaks English. Um, there are certain websites that use either different ways of translating or, uh, you know, you can expect the website to be read by someone where they speak English, but maybe it's not their first language. Um, so when it comes to that kind of user experience, and especially when you are trying to help someone find what they're trying to accomplish, um, trying to guide them through an experience. Uh, it really comes down to, are you saying this in a way that can't easily be misconstrued? Or are you using a weird idiom that is going to confuse the heck out of this person when it gets translated or something like that? Um, that's another really interesting piece of the puzzle. I was just looking it up. One thing that I found fascinating about what you just mentioned is, uh, do you guys know uh, the Simple English Wikipedia? I have not heard of that. So yeah, Wikipedia has, you know, you can browse Wikipedia in multiple languages and one of those is Simple English. And it's, you know, all the articles in there are supposed to be, you know, English that is, you know, very accessible, okay. even though it's supposed That's to awesome. be like, yeah, it's, it's really cool, like really accessible and like, even though it's supposed to be a, you know, an encyclopedia with a bunch of terms that are complicated, the whole point of that is to, initiative is to like make it more accessible and use like, you know, only certain terms. Um, it's it's quite a, you know, I there's like that Reddit explaining me like a five-year-old. <laughs> so it's like, it reminds me a little bit of that. <laughs> Oh, that, that Reddit I, is great for trying to figure out how to write copy about a technical product. <laughs> that is the job sometimes. Not not like a five-year-old per se, but figuring out how to break things down and keep breaking them down. Uh, any final thoughts on copy before you move to recommendations? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe like one last word from Karen on like, what is the most important thing if people take away from this episode when it comes to copy like what is the most important thing that's a good question <laughs> i think the most important thing um that, that i've found has been figuring out how to have a really productive feedback conversation um which really requires it, it's not something that can be done very hastily 
And it's not always something that can just be done through um, writing some edits in a Google Doc or something to that effect. A lot of the time that can work or that's a big part of the conversation. But a lot of the time with copywriting, I think it can seem like the issue is with the words themselves or the way that something is written and not with kind of like the underlying framework that is setting up the thing, um, setting up the written work. So I guess as a copywriter, if I have a fuzzy understanding of something, but I think I have a really clear understanding of it and I run ahead and I write about it, um, the outcome's probably not gonna be great. So I think just being able to have a lot of really clear feedback uh, and talk things through with people is so important. Well said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, all you guys right. Are on that front. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I keep thinking about the parallels, right? Like when you are trying to solve problems as, as a designer, like if you can solve this problem, but you might not actually get to the core of what caused this whole thing in the first place, right? So keep asking <laughs> questions. Like, you know, there's multiple examples and like things that, you know, they might make this a little bit better, but people still are not, you know, the jobs to be done or whatever hasn't been really addressed. So it's, it's really fascinating how these two realms kind of intersect. Yeah, they're so similar. Cool. Uh, so moving on to recommendations. So this is the part uh, of the show where we talk about things that we like or want to plug. Um, I guess, Allie, you just added something here to the doc. Oh, yeah. Um, in my last second recommendation ad, uh, I'm going to recommend this game. And I think it's actually an older game called Hanabi. Uh, and it's a card game. But instead of you seeing your cards, you hold them so that the rest of the group can see them. And you work as a team to try and stack them in the right order by like giving hints um, and like just working together and like remembering which cards are which. Uh, It's a good one to like play with a group and all work together. And it's it's very mobile. It's just a small little deck. Not that people are moving much right now, but <laughs> besides the point. Is this one of those games that you can play in a Zoom call? Or no? Do you need... Oh, it's is it the deck? Uh, yeah, you need like okay. a specific deck. And then also, like if I was holding them up, you'd be able to see them, but I'd also be able to see myself. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> but I like the thought. Um, cool. So I have quite a few. Um, <laughs> I've been playing The Last of Us Part Two is a video game. I think it does. Um, speaking of copy and like character development, I think it does a lot of things really well on that front. Not that it has like any rich text or anything, but I think it it has nuance in the story that I feel like a lot of times video games, especially around action, don't. So it's like you don't have that clear picture of a villain and the hero. It's like they, they everything is like a little bit of a shade of gray. So I think it, it really pushes the boundaries of how you can tell a story in that format. Um, and in copy, I... Uh, use Grammarly <laughs> to help me with my typos because ever since the iPhone came out and I rely a lot more on autocorrect, I feel like that uh, <laughs> that habit has unfortunately 
come back to the computer, like the desktop. Or <laughs> so I really rely on these tools to help me not make as much typos. Um, and the last one is this tool that I just found like a few days ago. It's called Rome Research. Um, it's a note-taking app, but what really sets it apart is this concept of bi-directional links. So it tries to map the way that the mind works, which is around connections. So a note, a lot of note-taking apps, they force a hierarchy on you. So like, you know, this note exists on this page. It's part of this other page. But in this app, it's more like you have insights and you can connect those insights however you like and then see how like in a in a map like these nodes and ideas connect to each other i don't know i'm just starting with it <laughs> but uh, i found it really fascinating when like you know you think that there's you know the problem of note taking has been completely explored and then suddenly someone comes along with a completely new idea um so yeah that's really that's cool like a very visual note taking approach, I guess. It is visual in the sense that you can see the map, like how things connect, but it's surprisingly very like, you know, based on just text. Uh, actually, I think their product does not good, does a good job at all explaining what it is for, how is it different, or like, you actually had to go like, you know, find the community is very active. So people are like excited to explain in several blogs and stuff. But yeah, the product itself really needs some help. Uh, <laughs> Like speaking of copy, copy. <laughs> <laughs> like they really need some better, like, you know, clarity around that. But yeah, he's calling them out. <laughs> I mean, the, the creator has already like said, you know, like, yeah, we need better onboarding. Like they were like really pushed on that. I think they're very oh. early on in their development. Um, but yeah, very self-aware. <laughs> I guess I have a couple copy-related recommendations. Um, copy adjacent, I guess. Uh, so the book that I mentioned earlier, uh, Because Internet, um, if you are a real copy nerd or if you just are either really into language or maybe a little bit too online, <laughs> um, it's really, really an interesting read. I think that reading about linguistics sounds impossibly dry until you realize that it's really those things like but if i add if i spell hey with four y's at the end why does it mean something different like this is a book that's asking those questions um and so it's it's kind of like linguistics the next generation um and that's an incredibly dorky thing to say, but it's really, really interesting. Um, and my other recommendation is any number of the goofy, um, very geared towards Instagram, um, like influencer font apps that you can use to post in different fonts rather than sort of like the standard setting that you would have on Instagram or Twitter. Um, I feel like that's kind of the next generation of people bringing weird tone aspects into their kind of online presence. And it does have, it does create a different context. Um, but it's also mostly just fun to mess with. Uh, so I recommend it again, if you're a little too online. What's, what's the name <laughs> of the app? Do you know? Um, I think the one that I have, so I'm on an Android phone, so this might not be the best one. Um, but it's called Fonts for Instagram, and I think it was free. 
Um, a lot of the fonts are really bad, but some of them are so bad it's hilarious, which makes them fun if you're texting your friends. And that's <laughs> that's what I want you to take away from all. And that's what's valuable here. Yeah. 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 Perfect. I'm, I'm really curious to see how it looks like. I don't think I've seen like people do crazy fonts in my feed <laughs> just yet. <laughs> Maybe that might be a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> that might mean you're making good choices <laughs> all right my recommendation also a last minute one is actually a cleaning product because there's not too much to get excited about in covid times but cleaning is one of them i guess <laughs> um but i've been using these products from a brand called blue land and they do these like zero waste cleaning products so they sell like little tablets that you just dissolve in water and then it's like your cleaning products. So it's pretty cool. So if you are doing some extra cleaning to not, you know, get the coronavirus, would recommend. <laughs> that is a solid Keeping tip. Keeping everyone healthy and clean here. Thank you, Sarah. Yep. <laughs> Keeping us practical here. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Uh, all right, everyone. Uh, that's it for our show this month. Uh, we'll see you next time. Ooh. Bye. 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 <laughs> Lovely. There you go. Uh... <laughs> feel free to cut. Nice. I feel like I was rambling so much. Don't I even worry about it. I had so much information. <laughs> yeah, this was like really insightful. Uh, thanks for, you know, coming and providing all this insight and knowledge to our listeners I, i'm sure they will they will really appreciate it my grandma's gonna love it <laughs> <laughs> my grandma's gonna learn about emojis and conference <laughs> <laughs>